you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. If we're lucky, we're going to resume some form of new normal. After this thing fights, is war with all everything that is made of flesh, bone, liquids. This is a battle of organic matter. Writer and director Guillermo del Toro. We're just at the beginning. And this is the reality. We want every story to resolve itself in a 72-hour cycle, you know? This is the rhythm of nature. This is not the rhythm of man. I'm John Horn. Guillermo del Toro has devoted his career to telling stories about creatures and their interactions with humans. So he has plenty to say about the coronavirus, a real-life horror story whose ending has not yet been written. One thing we do know is that the virus has already forced major changes in the way the entertainment industry will operate going forward. We'll hear from some gig economy workers who think that's a good thing. This is Hollywood, the sequel. Welcome to our podcast. It's where we ask some of the entertainment industry's brightest minds how Hollywood might reinvent itself as it comes out of the pandemic. Coming up, filmmaker Guillermo del Toro. But first, we ask our guests in every episode what they would do to fix Hollywood. And we've talked with actors, directors, executives, and writers. But what about the people on the front lines, the -the below-the-line workers, as they're called in the business? They do vital work behind the scenes, and they have a lot to say about what needs to change if Hollywood is going to thrive after the pandemic. Members of the gig economy, people that are creative professionals in Hollywood, we are essentially chewed up and we are spit out. We are treated like we are widgets. We are commodities that can just be replaced. That's Zach Arnold. He's a film and TV editor. He's worked on shows like Empire, Burn Notice, and Glee. He got a lot of attention for a blog post he wrote about what could happen when production resumes. The title, Dear Hollywood, We Don't Want to Go Back to Normal. Normal wasn't working. It had come from me having hundreds of conversations with people that all said the same thing. Because of the pandemic, I had this immense amount of self-awareness of how much I hated my life before all of this started. Now that I'm not driving, I realize how much I hated my commute. Now that I'm not working 18 hours, I realize how much time I lost with my children. And I received hundreds upon hundreds of responses. I'm still getting them, and I still can't sift through all of them. Arnold's blog is called Optimize Yourself, and it gives advice about work-life balance, which is really important in an industry that is notorious for grueling hours with no guarantee of steady employment. 
Arnold shares a story that he heard from film editor Walter Murch. He worked on The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. It was a famous story back in the mid to late 70s about a film that was vastly over budget and had very tight deadlines and everybody was just getting pushed to the limit with 20 hour days. And they went to one of the heads of post-production at Universal Studios and said, we have to do something about these demands. Everybody is dropping like flies. And the response was, get more flies. Nothing has changed in the last 40 years. It's all about everybody having to create a miracle such that today's miracle thus becomes tomorrow's expectation. And whatever it takes, however many people it takes to figure this out, they throw people at the problem. And as soon as somebody can't deliver anymore, they find somebody else that will. And I think this is a systemic issue that needs to change. And if ever there was a time to figure it out, I think it's right now. The most immediate problem with that get more fly solution is that if someone on set tests positive for coronavirus, it isn't simply a matter of replacing that person. One infected crew member could shut down an entire production. And the safety protocols that you need to prevent that, that requires time and attention and money. So what we can't do is separate the conversation of safety from the conversation of hours because the two are inextricably linked. If you're gonna have a safer set, you need to have people that are healthy, that have strong immune systems, that are not sleep deprived, that are working regular hours. I don't know why it has gotten to a point where we do work such long hours when honestly, to have any sort of life, we shouldn't. Lainey Trzinski is one of the many industry gig workers who read Zach's blog post. She's a hairstylist and she's been in the business since 1993. But back in March, when the pandemic hit, her work stopped. Gosh, it's just been ups and downs. Uh, my feelings change every single day. I'm not sure if I even want to remain in the film business because the film business we had before was very stressful and was very hard on a lot of families and people. And uh, things have to change there for sure. The hours for hair and makeup teams, some of the longest on set. They have to be there before the actors arrive and can't leave until the actors are done. Lainey says the norm are 14 or 16 hour days, and she has worked four 24 hour days in her career. But she's hopeful things will get better. There's so much time entailed in getting our disinfecting right before we even get to work and get to working on the actors, that the film business is going to have to slow down. I don't think it has a choice anymore. And I think it will be beneficial for all of us. Laney's work requires her to be on set, but people like editor Zach Arnold, well, they can do a lot of their work from home as long as their bosses sign off. I just had the conversation this week with an assistant editor who was told that in order for them to be able to keep their job, they have to work in the office and they have to go into a screening room with 10 or 15 directors and producers so they can take notes because that's just the way that it is. And it's, quote unquote, impossible to work from home. We've now learned that's not the case. And people are just making these excuses, number one, because they don't want to put in the effort or number two, because they don't want to spend the money. But guess what? Disruption is uncomfortable. It is painful. But this is the point where we're going to have to fix these issues because you can't just say to somebody, sorry, conform to these standards or we're going to hire somebody else. While it might have been possible in the past for the people doing the hiring to point to a pile of resumes and say, if you don't do this job, someone else will. Arnold says that's changing. 
Now there's nobody on that stack because nobody's willing to go in under these circumstances. And that is why I think COVID is such an inflection point for Post, for Hollywood in general, is that before, whenever we thought about, well, what are the consequences? Well, it's going to be really long days and I'm going to be really sleep deprived and something might happen, but uh, what are the chances? Now we're literally talking about losing our lives if we do this wrong. And I think that is the big change that we're seeing just emotionally. The groundswell is people saying your entertainment is not worth me giving my life. That was editor Zach Arnold and hairstylist Lainey Trzinski. When we come back, filmmaker Guillermo del Toro. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Welcome back to Hollywood, the sequel. I'm John Horn. Zoom, man. I know. Who knew? What happened? All of a sudden, everybody, everybody's on Zoom. That is Guillermo del Toro on Zoom. He is best known for his 2017 film, The Shape of Water. It won the Oscar for Best Picture and Guillermo won for Best Director. He was in the middle of shooting his next picture. It's called Nightmare Alley when the production was shut down by the pandemic. We caught up with him when he got back home to L.A. With some time on his hands, he was re-watching a lot of movies, like the 1986 James Cameron film Aliens, and rereading books like The Devils of Loudon, Aldous Huxley's story of 17th century French nuns possessed by demons. The other novel that seems very pertinent right now for me is H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, where the arrogant giant Martian machines are brought by the smallest thing in, in existence, a, a microbe or a bacteria or a virus, you know? For Del Toro, it all seemed to connect to the current moment. Some of the biggest entertainment machines are sputtering in a very dangerous way after eight weeks or 10 weeks. I almost think of the tagline of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, who will survive and what will be left of them? We have created in every aspect of our lives, an economy and a consumption system that could be collapsing because it needs, for it to be sustained, it needs an almost insane velocity of consumption. And you look at large, 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 the largest companies in the world, and you think many of them are unable to sustain an eight-week pause. And it's quite astounding. And, uh, but un- understandable because we, everybody counts 
with that speed being perpetual, and it isn't. It isn't. When we spoke, Del Toro was looking at all the new and sometimes conflicting safety protocols that were being laid out in different places, like New Mexico, Toronto, and Australia. The first mandate is safety, you know? Once uh, a vaccine is found, I still think the the way a set works may recuperate most of its fluidity, but I think things are going to change nevertheless. Taking temperature, inquiring about health, inquiring about a lot of things. It's it's sort of uh, the way travel changed after 9-11, in a way. You could still take a plane, but you have to leave yourself two hours to board it, you know, it, it, it is it is safety protocols and health protocols. Normally, a movie set is almost like a carnival, you know. You have all the, the artists and the technicians uh, convivial, and it's a very, very efficient, but a very, very uh, cordial, uh, casual. I mean, you can you can be two feet away from each other. So if movie sets go from being a carnival and this very convivial place to something that sounds a lot like going to the grocery store where you're socially distanced and you have to be away from everybody, does it also change the kinds of movies that you can make? Because you always have you know, half a dozen things in development. And when you're thinking about what you actually will be able to make the way you want it to make, does it change what you're developing? Do you like abandon things because you say there's no way I could pull that off? So when you when you say it'll become like a grocery store, I don't think so. But for about a, a year and a half or two, it'll be like an operating room. You will have to observe uh, health protocols. Fortunately for us, we are in an industry that uh, you know is creative and so forth. But but I, I think that uh, when I think of uh, of where the world is at, it's a very very tough place. At a human level. Do you think that changes the kinds of stories the audience wants? And specifically, you make movies that can be really scary. They can be really disturbing. It could be Pan's Labyrinth. It could be, you know, elements of other movies. You make monsters. You tell scary stories. And I don't think anything is as scary right now as the coronavirus but do you think audiences are going to want to be scared again or are they going to want a different kind of emotional experience? How will they be changed? That, that is absolutely impossible to predict. But what I do know is that uh, we will always have the bandwidth for every kind of story. The, 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 the concern I have is the way we connect with them, the way we digest them. You know, uh, Movies could be held on the theater for months in the past. And they were consumed and there would be the sort of massive movie uh, arriving. It had its place, its time. People digested it. People talked about it. Now the amount of um, stories are referred often as content and the delivery system is often the referred as a pipeline, that tells you about a flow rather than a mainstaying power, you know? And I think the the culture consumes stories at a, an insanely fast rate, all of them. And I think part of uh, our uh, experiencing of this uh, virus 
part of what is uh, challenging is this slowing down. This is slowing down. I actually thought gave me pause to think and to absorb in a different way. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to take the time and, and systematize reading and viewing and things like that. But I actually thought, oh my God, I haven't had a pause like this. I actually, I was transformed in a, in a strange way. I, I, I cannot quantify it. When you think about what movies meant to you as a child, and I know we've talked about this in the past, about going to the theater as a young boy and being struck by what movies meant. You can't go to the theater now. And who is that next young boy or girl who can't get into a movie theater and can't have his or her imagination explode and become a filmmaker? Because you can't do that. Well, we have an immense social shift. Look, childhood in the 1800s was different than my childhood in the 1960s. You know, Uh, if I was in the 1890s, I would be like Toby Tyler and I would like to run with the circus. In in the 1960s, you wanted to make movies or television or in the, there was the era of vaudeville and operetta. And I think that the way we communicate artistically changes with society. It has to shift, you know. Um, A lot of people uh, now don't depend, depending on the generation, they don't depend on the movie theater as much as we did. Uh, The the one thing I tell you that I'm very, very, uh, very conscious now, the three things that became basic uh, in this quarantine was uh, health, food, and stories. You know, I, I have never seen so many people talking about what they watched, what they are uh, binging, what they are doing. A lot of people, myself included. But everybody for sanity uh, started depending on stories. And I think we are in a very peculiar time in humanity where most everything, rather than experiencing it, we hear about it. When we were in the 60s, 70s, you and I, you know, you would open a newspaper and there would be a shocking photography from uh, Vietnam or a shocking photography from uh, a disaster somewhere. And we would have a few weeks to process it, you know? Now we are processing 150 strands of storytelling in one hour on Twitter or on, on any social media you, you favor. And I don't think we have the emotional bandwidth to absorb them all. But we are very, very oriented to stories. When you get back to work, what are you most excited about in terms of returning to work? Is it being with other people? Is it the stories that are percolating that you want to tell? I tell you one thing. I have been doing this for almost 30 years, you know? Uh, as as director, and uh, I have now come to value the experience of making a movie as much as the movie. I I I, I I'm not saying not an easy one. It can be a very difficult experience, but then you are uh, you are going through it with people that believe in you, or you have to believe in yourself, 
and it's equally valuable. And I really miss my second family, which is the people I've been working with since the 90s. The Grip, the Steadicam, the Gafford, and I'm still working with them now. And new new family that you gather, and it is a very carnival-esque, circus-oriented thing, and I miss, I miss the others. Our thanks to Guillermo del Toro, Lainey Trzinski, and Zach Arnold, and to you for listening. We hope you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And please give us a rating, leave us a comment, and please share the podcast. This episode of Hollywood the Sequel was produced by Shelley Lewis, Monica Bushman, and Jonathan Shiflett, with help from Darby Maloney and Jessica Pilot. Our engineer and sound designer is Eduardo Perez. Our theme music is composed by Nicholas Bertel. And with this final episode, I want to thank the KPCC leaders who helped make this podcast possible. Station President Herb Scannell, the team at Elia Studios, Chief Content Officer Kristen Muller, and Program Director Sal Locurdo. Hollywood The Sequel is a production of LAS Studios. I'm John Horn. We'll see you next time. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.